Welcome to the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast, presented by 13 Fishing Canada. Make your own luck. We're here to scratch that angling itch and talk everything fishing. Join us as we sit down with special guests from across the industry. Now, here's your hosts, Brandon Cater and Logan Lewis. How's it going, everyone? It's been a hot minute here for me and Brandon, but we are very excited to be back. Uh, We've got an awesome episode here coming up with Doug Wagner, a reoccurring guest. Uh, Actually, pretty well a year ago of this episode coming out was when we sat down with him. But uh, before we get into that, how are things with you, Brandon? Good, man. Things have been busy. Um, Busy on the real estate front, busy on the fishing front. We got a lot of a lot of stuff going on. It seems like we're always busy with behind the scenes stuff with the with this weekend Warriors Co. Um, brand. I mean, we are um, lining up guests first and foremost for the podcast. Uh, like you mentioned, Doug is on here. This is our first interview of 2023. Super exciting. Um, but we're also working on some other things. And uh, I mean, I'm, we'll jump into that, I'm sure. But uh, just excited, just super excited. Things are things are good. Weather's good. Yeah. Um, nothing to com- nothing to complain about here. Yeah, we've had some pretty nice weather, and I think uh, I think we just hop into our, our announcement right now. Um, yeah, you think so? Right at the top, right at the top of the episode, we'll get to the sponsors and everything go. after this. But uh, no, we wanted to. We've had some questions about it, and um, this is all pending approval uh, from the government as far as uh, permits and stuff like that. But we are putting together a March Madness tournament uh, for. It's unfortunately for anyone outside of Saskatchewan, it won't be available this year, but. Um, this will be a Saskatchewan wide event if everything goes according to plan. Um, and it'll be kind of similar to a March Madness event that was run last year by my catch, um, eligible species planning to be pike, burbot and walleye. Um, and yeah, I don't know. We, we've been kind of getting this ball rolling a little bit here. The biggest thing is that we get approval from the government and we're in a bit of a time crunch with, with that, but those forms are being sent out. And so uh, we're hoping that gets accepted. But basically our plan with that is uh, we're going to have payouts for the top three fish in each category. Um, There might be some other prizes and stuff too as far as uh, prize packages, but that's still to be determined and whatnot. But anyways, uh, the podcast is putting up guaranteed money for these prizes. So it'll be guaranteed payout of $1,000 per species for those top three spots. So $3,000 in total is guaranteed and that number is only going to go up with every entry or every participant that we get into the event. So basically, we're not totally sure on the prize breakdown yet as far as what first, second, and third for each species will get paid. I don't know. Maybe we toss it up on the story and see what our what our, all the listeners think as to yep. uh, what they want to do for that, what they think would be best. But that's the plan as of right now. Top three get paid in those species and then... Uh, if we're able to obtain sponsors and stuff like that, as far as uh, prizes and whatever throughout the tournament, I know last year they had um, some prizes for like the best release video. I'd love to do something like that. I love seeing those release videos. Um, but I guess that's one big thing to mention with this tournament, right? Sorry, I'm kind of not letting you speak, Brandon. But the the biggest thing is this is a catch photo release tournament. You catch your fish, picture of it on the bump board, release, and that's kind of goes exactly with what we're all about here at the uh, weekend warriors coast so um i don't know we thought that was a pretty big announcement it's still in the works pending approval for the permits but uh that's what we're trying to put together right now yeah 
super, super exciting. I mean, we wanted to do this last year and uh, just didn't work out. And this year we were finally, you know, able to get the go ahead. And, you know, now we're just waiting for that last official go ahead from the government. But um, yeah, if you're not following us on social media, definitely go follow us on Instagram for sure. That's kind of like our most active platform. Uh, we'll probably be tossing up some some stories or posts asking, you know, what people would want here in Saskatchewan to see from this. Uh, essentially, this is for you guys, right? I mean, Logan and I probably won't be, we won't be fishing in it. Uh, we're hosting it. So um, this is all for you guys. If you guys, you know, want to get a group of buddies, you know, 10, 20 people that you know involved because you guys want bigger payouts, then, you know, it's going to be, we're going to do the best of our ability to, you know, get it out there and make sure people are aware. But um, yeah, word of mouth. If you if you know people that you know would be interested, share the word, and uh, that that'll just guarantee more money for payouts. So it's province wide, yeah. like Logan mentioned. Um, we are considering a few details, whether that be um, you know having entry like a, fee. a yeah, and like a, a a kids entry fee, like having a sector for the youth, just because we are big on you know, having everybody involved in the, in the sport and get out, getting out fishing. Um, so, you know, you have a adult section available and then kind of a youth entry as well, a little less, little less money, but an opportunity to get the young ones out there and, Mm -hmm. uh, excited to catch it and, you know, win some prizes. So, um, yeah, definitely stay tuned to our, our Instagram page for sure. Yeah, for sure. We'll probably be one like we'll be looking into what everyone thinks as far as an entry fee, right? Higher entry fee, higher payout. But we also want to have a lot of people fishing because it's not just the the tournament itself. This is also allowing lots of data to be collected as far as our fisheries around Saskatchewan, right? And uh, that's something that we think is pretty important as well. So uh, kind of trying to find that balance between like I know like Walleye Wars is a great event that's going across all the provinces, which is another my catch event. And it's a premium tournament, right? Those are expensive entry fees, but the payouts are big. The prizes are big, right? So um, we kind of want to find that happy medium where we can make sure that a lot of people are involved and still have a good payout because I know that's a big thing for lots of the people competing in it. Um, There's tons of nice fish entered last year. We were just looking at the leaderboards from last year. I had, I think I had the fifth place burbot, and that was a massive angler burbot. So there's some some even bigger ones that I think Nathan Parody had a huge burbot that took first place. So um, I think it's something pretty exciting. And as far as the payouts, like we said, guaranteed money. And so that's going to be there for sure, guaranteeing that. Um, but then another part is all those entry fees are going to add to that prize pot. So we're not uh, we're not taking anything from this. Uh, we're, everything that goes from those entry fees, less the cost to run the tournament, is going to be added back into those prizes. So um, the more people that get in there, the bigger the prizes, and really the more fun it is. Um, if you're a competitive person, you want to compete against the best and the most people, and I, I think that's something that will really really draw people in there. The, the plan is for it to be province-wide. I don't know if we mentioned that, um, but really then you can be can be fishing pretty well anywhere in the province. So you can go right to, to your spot on your lake, and you're not, you're not stuck on some lake you don't know or anything like that. So... Um, again still in the works need that paperwork we need that approval but uh, we wanted to kind of put the word out there get the ball rolling with people and if everything works out like we hope it does as far as getting the approval i think this should be a pretty exciting tournament to watch can't wait i yeah 
hopefully everything goes well. But um, with that aside, yeah, welcome. Um, this is going to be a great episode with Doug Wagner. We got to give a huge shout out to our presenting sponsor, 13 Fish in Canada. Um, awesome products for ice fishing. Yep. Absolutely awesome. Like some of their some of their rods. Um, go check with the Omen. Um, 36 medium heavy. Perfect rod for this time of year. Fighting some big pike on the rod and reel. Or even if you're chasing after some master angler burbot, those things fight like heck. Uh, yep. So go check out go check out some 13 fishing rods. They got lots of great reels now as well. Um, yeah, and just head to rappella.ca. Use the code Weekend Warrior save 15% off. Everything on that site, all nine brands, Strike Master, Rapella, um, everything that's on there. Yeah, for sure. And I also got to say a big thank you to Saskatchewan Wildlife Federation for coming on again this year. Um, I mean, now that we're into the newer year, I'm not totally sure when their memberships are needing to be renewed, but that's something to check out for sure. Um, it allows you to get into lots of tournaments and stuff like that too. So along with the magazines and the insurance and all the stuff we've talked about before, um, for 20, 25 bucks, the benefits way outweigh the cost of, of the membership. And it's just a, a cool community to be a part of. So uh, big thanks to them for coming on. Super cool. Yeah. And the master angler program here in Saskatchewan is just getting better. Um, the more people that use it, the more input they get, uh, you know, the better it'll be. So if you haven't downloaded the new uh, Saskatchewan Master Angler program, head to your app store and download that and make sure you're submitting those big catches. And uh, yeah, you'll get you'll get rewarded. You'll get your certificate and a little bit of recognition and um, try be Saskatchewan's next Master Angler. If I don't even know how many species are on there. Yeah, I'm 20, not sure either. 24, You'd be challenging Ryland though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or double whammy, you could be doing that while you're in the tournament as well. Get a master angler certificate and enter a nice fish into the tournament if it's, oh, exactly. uh, if it's a go. Yeah. Double dip. Yeah. And uh, with this nicer weather we've been having, it's feeling like it's closer and closer to patio season, which is a perfect time to enjoy some Lucky Bastard. Uh, you can check out their website. They ship Canada-wide. Our discount code will be down in the show notes below. Um, but without further ado, we'll hop into a quick word from them, and then I think we'll go right into the interview with Doug Wagner. There are certain moments in life that really stick with you. This is definitely one of them. The thrill of the deal, my friends, is not a myth. Prohibition is over, Saskatchewan. Ask about LB's legendary Birmingham's Dill Pickle Vodka. After all, it's not a party until someone pulls out the pickle. Tours and tastings available. Call or stop by 814 47th Street East. And tonight, why not mix your Caesar with some lucky bastard? It's the one with the pickle in it. What is going on, Weekend Warriors? Welcome back. This is our first interview with a guest of 2023. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We got Doug Wagner back on. This is episode two with Doug. If you haven't tuned in to episode one, uh, we sat down with him in 2022 and uh, that was a doozy of an episode. So go check that out. Uh, Doug, welcome back. We appreciate you taking the time to sit down with a couple of Saskatchewan folk and uh, talk a little bit of fishing. Oh, it's good to be here with some fellow Western, or I should say Western Canadians. I, I kind of consider myself a part-time Canadian now. I'm, uh, well, I'm married to a Canadian. I'm still an American citizen, but I now own a house in, in Ontario. Oh, out that's east. Exciting. Yeah. Well, on Lake of the Woods. I mean, we don't call it east here. We call it Northwestern Ontario. We, we try and hold that west as much as we can, I think. 
Well, you're try, try and refrain from being the East. Exactly. <laughs> don't, want, don't want to be lumped in with exactly. that. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So yeah. So I guess yeah. For those of you that don't maybe follow Doug on social media, definitely go check him out on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, but yeah, you spend most of your time from the looks of it up in Canada during the winter. You kind of work real hard down down in the Midwest guiding in the the open water season. And you spend your time up here. Yeah. Um, kind of has to do with it. my long story short, my wife's not working through immigration and can't get into the States yet. Okay. It's been a yeah. two year process. So, um, yeah, she was living with me in the States or visiting, however you want to call it. And then, uh, yeah, she's locked out and we don't know when that's going to change. So I bought a house here. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I work all year, um, green Bay and then do a little bit of guiding on Lake of the woods in the summer. And then, yeah, my, my late falls and my winters, I'm up here hanging out with her fishing and doing whatever else. But waiting for March, I go back to work on March 22nd, back to guiding. Okay, that's, kind of, yeah, that's coming I think up I'm, pretty quick. It, yeah. That is. It, it goes by fast. Do you, do I recall correctly that you said you guide usually up until December or something like that? Yeah, well, I don't really guide until December anymore. I think this year my last day was October 17th. Um, okay. I, had a, I had a buddy's wedding for a weekend I had to stand up in. And then after that I went to Canada and then, <coughs> sorry. Um, after that time period, I just go up in Northwestern Ontario and musky fish with some friends and my wife and, um, film a bunch of stuff, a bunch of YouTube content, but I'm kind of done guiding. But yeah, I mean, I think I fished until November 28th this year or 27th. It's pretty late. We were over on Lake Nipissing. Um, with two and a half or two feet of snow on the freaking dock when we left, I start I start early and I, I push it as long as I can. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And I guess like we were talking before we even started recording, like you you have a lot of repeat business down in the Midwest there, but like you know, I think you were saying you have one guy that has how many days booked this season with you? Uh, Thirty nine. That's ridiculous. Oh, wow. Like I don't know, like up here, right? You you always think about you know you're gonna you know go on a guided trip three days, maybe like a weekend type thing. Maybe you go out five, seven days and, uh, but 39 days out of the season, you're guiding one guy, same guy, same guy. Yep. He's a very successful guy. He runs a, runs a really successful business. He's done really well for himself. And yeah, the guy is addicted to muskies. So that's right up my alley. I'm, I'm good with that. That's actually, that's pretty like, if you think about it, lots of people don't even get out that many times in their own boat or whatever they're doing, they're like, whatever they're going out for a day, they don't usually even get out that much over the course of a summer or whatever, and this guy's got you lined up for that many days. That's actually pretty crazy. Well, he wanted he wanted 55 days, and I didn't have the room in my schedule for that. I had too many other return customers, so he's actually a new guest. I've never I've never fished with him before. Um, what? Yeah, he's a, he'd been fishing with a guy that, um, that I know um, for the last few years, and they do about 50 days a year. Okay. And... He actually just got out of guiding and took a full-time job. Um, he's got two young kids, and they're getting older, and then he just wants to be around home more. So he actually took a full-time job. And then I knew who this guy was. I mean, there's not too many people in the fishing industry, in the muskie world at least, that hire a guide for 50-some days. And you know, we all kind of knew about this guy. And I was lucky enough to get the phone call and have the opportunity. And all those days are on Lake of the Woods, too. Like, they're all on Lake wow. of the Woods. So, yeah, it, I'm going to be up on the woods a lot this year. A lot more than normal. That's pretty crazy. I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm fine with it. I can take Green Bay in small doses, but the more I fish there, the the less I can handle yeah. people. 
people are terrible. So I guess of that, how many on, I guess on average, cause it would change obviously based on um, weather and stuff like that. How many days on average are you doing per, per season for guiding? I mean, I'm basically, I don't take any days off. I start normally around March 20th and then they like say around that October 15th. Um, I think my last day this year is October 2nd. Um, okay. Yeah. So, but I, I, every single seven days a week, all, all year round. Right. For most okay. time periods, I should say. I mean, last year, I know I started the year with 249 trips booked. Um, I probably ran 220 of them. You know, I'm sure you got cancellations and some weather days, stuff yeah. like that. But I mean, I don't know. A lot of those days, though, are doubles. Like I'll run two trips in a day. I'll run eight hour in the morning and an eight hour in the afternoon or a five okay. hour in the morning, five hour in the afternoon, something like that, depending on you know, how much light you have and if you're fishing during daylight hours or after dark or what the scenario is. Yeah, for sure. And I, I just, I actually just took a look back. Our last eps, or I guess our interview episodes came out January last year. So it's been almost exactly a year pretty well yeah. since we sat down with you. So obviously a lot can, uh, can happen in that time. I guess overall, how was the, how was the season and everything this year? Um, it was, it was interesting. I would say we had, um, a late spring. Um, our walleye fishing, I would say was pretty good in green Bay. Uh, we started there in March. We did well for numbers. I think our big ones, we were down on 30 inches a little bit. Um, but we had, we got a really good couple of years of, your classes for walleyes coming up right now. Um, but that was good. And then the muskies in Green Bay for opener um, were pretty tough. We had a little warm-up before our season opened, and a lot of our fish flushed out of the rivers, and our spring was pretty rough. We caught fish the first three days, and then I went six days in a row without a fish. Um, wow. And then I left there, went to Minnesota. I know I stopped in Minnesota. Um, I fished there for 13 days, and we just absolutely crushed them. Um, we had three fish over 50 and I don't know how many, forget how many fish we caught. Um, but we were over at a two fish a day average. So that was awesome. And then went to Lake of the woods, which was totally screwed up, um, with all the high water and late spring record, record high water, right? Like that stuff was five, six, five, six feet high, um, mm-hmm. highest water ever on record and water temps were super cold. Everything was really far behind. The muskies were somewhat post-spawn like we caught some fish that were still pre-spawn some fish that a lot of our fish were post-spawn but they were just in a really weird funk um and it took took a few days to like dial in a pattern and it was a lot different than i'd ever experienced lake of the woods in the prior i don't know how many years i've been fishing now um 18 years i guess um it was just different than anything else i'd ever seen there um and of course like the last three days i'm there out of the month it would it like everything set up the fish were there I think we had like 22 bites our last three days and then I had to leave, right? Classic. Mm-hmm. As soon as stuff got good. Um, and then went home to green Bay and we had the craziest, like massive West wind, I guess the week before I came home. And what that does is it pushes all of our warm water. Um, on the, from the West shore where our muskies like to hang out and then pushed it out in the middle of the lake. And then we had a bunch of cold lake current that came in. So on August 1st, I came home, it was my first day back in Green Bay, and our water temperature was 58 degrees. Um, and normally that's like 74 to 75, like absolutely insane. So our fishing was screwed up for a couple weeks. It started to get better, um, but it was okay. Got one really. We got a 55 incher. We got a 54 incher. Um, 
it was all right. And then trolling it was okay. And then the, this fall in Canada was really good when I came back up. So. Okay. Fall Canada was great. And then Minnesota was great, but everything else was just, it was good. Um, but it was just tough. The last couple of years have just been so good for me. Everything just lined up. And this year was a little bit, a little bit tough for sure. Yeah. That's uh, it's kind of funny how it, like I, I know, things seem different. Like it was, it seems to be <clears throat> the weather was different everywhere, like across the board here. Like I know our ice was late last year and then everything as far as like leaching and spawn and stuff like that around here seemed to be like two to three weeks late. And then you're talking about how everything was kind of weird down by you as well. It's kind of funny how that works its way across the board. And definitely something I noticed like, um, on, in talking to Zach, when it was my first time up at Lac Lamar, but he's talking about the ice and, and all this stuff and how different the weather is this year compared to, to other years. And it was kind of funny how it doesn't matter where you are. I was way up in the territories or right here in Western Canada or out East, like you guys are, it's, it seemed to go right across the board and it does make it different, right? When you've kind of got a, a pattern set out, because obviously you must have a pattern set out fishing wise that you're going to different places, right? And fishing different bodies of water throughout the season. Yeah. Like I kind of, I go off of, you know, a general timeline of, you know, what fish are doing in certain places. And I kind of move my guide service around to be on, I don't want to say necessarily the best bites, but the bites that I prefer to chase. Um, mm -hmm. And this year the weather just had everything, so mixed up like i said lake of the woods was amazing my last three days but i couldn't stay there because i had customers booked in green bay that i had to get home for and then i go home and i knew green bay was a disaster i've been talking to some other guides leading up there some buddies of mine that were getting their butts kicked and struggling because the water was so cold um yeah it just I, I plan out my schedule a year ahead of time to accommodate all my customers and where i want to be and then if the weather just screws you, you then you know you can't you can't do anything yeah Exactly. And is, so is that how it works? You kind of have your schedule and say someone, so do, is it usually they say, I want to fish this area or I want to fish these dates? And um, then you have to tell them where you're there, where you're going to be on those dates or. It, it normally comes down to like, where do you want to fish? And then they'll tell me a location. Like, okay, if you want to fish there, these are the days that, you know, we can do that. Cause I, I set up, you know, certain blocks of time so that, I mean, Problem is like Green Bay is ten hours from Lake of the Woods, right? So it takes me a full day to get up here, and then a full day to get home. So I can't be ripping back and forth. So when I come up here, it's generally for you know at least a month at a crack. You know, Minnesota's on the way, so once I leave my house to go to Minnesota, I go to Minnesota, fish there for two weeks, and then I leave for Minnesota and go right to Canada. So like, the amount of stuff I have to bring too is just insane. Because fishing Minnesota like different baits than the fish in Canada and fishing Green Bay and. Whatever. And we've seen your basement, so we know how much stuff you have. I, yeah, I, I did take you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, last oh. interview you took us down for a little tour, and that was that was insane. That was probably one of the cooler sites we've seen uh, doing interviews. Is all those baits and that basically? I mean, it's a tackle shop down there. It's nuts. Um, I guess yeah, one of, one of the big questions I had was like, so obviously like going back and forth between the two you know countries um, down there you can have a lot of lines in the water no yeah three compared uh, green bay wisconsin's three lines per person minnesota's only one but uh yeah wisconsin's three okay so like when you're guiding like in those different areas that have different regulations like what what's your mindset how do you determine obviously it's going to be a lot easier too when you have more lines in the water per person 
is that like deterring or like how did like how do you mentally prepare for you know um, setting up a client successfully with less lines in the water? Right. I mean, it it basically is like the only way that we fish multiple lines is trolling. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it comes down to the same thing. Like the first question, if a customer contacts me is where do you want to fish? Right. Green Bay, yeah. Minnesota, Lake Woods. Second question, do you want to cast or troll? Um, you know, just to try and figure out their needs or, you know, what, what they want to do or accomplish with their guide trip. And then I give them dates, you know, according to that, like generally in August in Green Bay, we, we have our best casting bite for muskies. Yeah. So August, I only allow cast people to book that want to cast. And then, you know, in September, you can kind of do one or the other. Um, generally, after September 10th, the casting is is kind of secondary to trolling. You, you know, there's people have more, you catch more fish trolling, okay. um, <laughs> I would say. And then once you get into October, then it's basically, you know, casting is, is a needle in a haystack versus trolling. You know, you get a lot better chance. So. It's yeah. just those questions, but the, the hard thing is like you just have to have all the equipment to do it too. Like the amount of money you have to invest in the equipment, like rods, and like you know, there's days where musky fishing, I'll have 15 rods off the side of my boat, right? Trolling for muskies. If I've got four customers in the boat, um, you know, three lines per guy, and then three for myself, and yeah, there's 15 rods to manage and all that they tackle to pay for and everything else. It, it's crazy. 15 mm-hmm. rods to manage just is like so absurd to us, especially like up here in Saskatchewan, right? Like open water yeah. season you're only allowed one uh ice fishing you're, at all times ice yeah. fishing you're allowed two and sometimes that's even uh hard to manage so you know 15 lines that's <laughs> that's crazy like it'd be so cool to experience that too like even you know logan and i folks come from around here you know coming down there and uh you know doing a trip with you like that would be that'd be a sight for itself never mind holding a, a 55 inch muskie as well yeah right that's just yeah those are just guaranteed yeah. <laughs> yeah. Days, I don't care how many rods you got, you're you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. Weeds or no, whatever. that's yeah. that's uh when you're talking about the tackle and stuff. Um, wanted to shout out my buddy uh, Davis that I guided with this year. Um, I had never met him before. We uh, flew in the same day, I believe, to uh, to the Northwest Territories there and shared a hotel, and we got to talking. And eventually, the podcast came up. He's like, "Oh, did you have Doug on?" And I was like, "Yeah." We did. And he's like, Oh, I listened to those two episodes. So it's kind of funny. He, he, we didn't know each other, but he had listened to, listen to that. And I, uh, he kind of talking about tackle and stuff like that. And he gets, we're in the hotel room, just hanging out Ever He's like, Oh, I got something to show you that. And he pulls out. So he, when he came with his, all his stuff that he flew in with, he had his rods, he had a suitcase and then he had this hockey bag, CCM hockey bag. And he opens that thing up and it is just all baits. And I was like, I thought I brought, quite like i brought a couple like quite a few trays but i thought i'd brought quite a bit for for going up there and everything he had brought was like ridiculous and he's showing me all these different baits he's like yeah this one was like it's made by this guy and i'm like this one's made by this guy and yes. he's showing me his hooks and i've never seen sharper hooks in my life um he was absolutely insane with with sharpening those and everything too and he's just basically pumped to try and use some of this musky tackle up there on the on the pike and the and the lakers and he actually he did i know there was a set of spinners that someone had made um and that was absolutely slaying the lake trout and he just couldn't get over that trolling those or whatever was slaying the lakers but what was um, inline spinners no it wasn't inline spinners it was uh it, the names escape me right now but basically spinner on top and it drops down it's almost like a triangle oh spinner if that makes sense yeah yeah sorry yeah so that's what, but like 
mega sized, I guess, obviously, right? So, um, or, yeah, F5 or some shit. Yeah, so that's what he ended up trolling those for Lakers. I was with him. He caught an absolute toad with those two. And um, so I kind of, I shouldn't have been surprised once I knew that he was a musky guy, I guess, that he was on top of his uh, baits and stuff like that. Just but, an absolute yeah. addict. That's oh, it was yeah, we'd crazy. Get we'd get along, especially like how many fish you guys catch up there. Like those flying destinations, right? Like you're going to catch a ton of fish versus yeah. you can, you can kind of look at me and roll your eyes. Cause like I'm trying to catch like 250, 300 fish a year with the amount of crap I have in my basement where that's like whatever, three days for you guys or I don't even know, but yeah. <laughs> you guys wear yeah. stuff and more equipment so much faster. But like, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a total tackle junkie. Yeah. That was his thing. He's like, lots of the stuff. He's like, I'm not going to throw this for pike. Like, to get it all scratched up just for a pike. And the pike there will eat not anything, but like a tiny pike's going to try and take anything too. And it's just scratching yep. the shit out of those baits. And he didn't didn't want that. But yeah, he had in our place that we were staying in the grain bin is just the whole roof around our beds were just lined with these baits. And yes. I was like, this is just crazy. The grain bin. My tackle shop yeah. is not mobile. Good for him because yeah, mine is not mobile. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I hope maybe I can find some pictures or whatever video of it and I'll send it to you. But it was it was absolutely crazy, and he's always toying with that stuff. Like I think I don't know for sure, but I could see lots of those baits that Zach was making um, with the squirrels and, and whatever from yeah. from up there. I'm guessing Davis because he brought up all the kits to make all that stuff too. Yeah, um, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it was specifically brought with the intention to make squirrel lures out of, but I think that's maybe what some of them got used for. So, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, but uh, I guess mo- moving on from that, uh, seeing as we are in ice fishing season, um, I know we had talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but still thought it might be good to bring up. Um, mm-hmm. We were kind of curious as to, I guess, to preface this, we don't have muskie in Saskatchewan at all don't know much about them obviously um we were kind of curious as to why you don't see a lot of ice fishing for musky and you kind of were able to answer that pretty quickly but i guess for all the listeners too if you want to touch on that oh it's illegal and in most states um most states or provinces like there is a closed season um like in wisconsin the season closes on december 31st um and you're not allowed to target them um you know and you could argue the fact that you know like a big shine or something like that is is targeting a muskie but you know people could be fishing for pike and um mm-hmm. then our season for muskies opens back up um the state's actually split by one highway there's a northern opener and a southern opener okay um, they're two weeks they're two weeks apart um which i don't know if any other states like have that where they open separately but it's basically just to protect them so that they can spawn and do their thing um and then you know, you just can't target them. Um, some places, like there are states like Michigan that now has a year-round season. Um, the only thing that changes is there is a catch and release season only for the state of Michigan. Um, but you can legally target them year-round. It is somewhat frowned upon, frowned upon um, to target them out of you know, I wouldn't say out of season, out of their old season. Um, you know, that just changed a couple of years ago. But yeah, mainly it's just it's closed. You can't target them. Okay. Yeah, makes, makes sense. sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't want to <laughs> Yeah, so I guess also as far as, like, obviously you're talking about the bycatch with the pike, is there, you like, is there, do they just slow down for the winter, basically, and that's why even even if you're targeting pike, you might not see them as often? Yep, muskies are super interesting that way. Like, once the water gets below about 36 degrees, um, 
they basically just go like dormant like a bear, right? Like they basically just hibernate. Okay. They do still feed, um, but their metabolism slow way down. They hang out super um, a lot more deep in your, you know, try, generally right around the thermal climb, trying to get as close to that warm water as possible. They're such a warm water fish versus pike. Pike are such mm-hmm. a cold water fish. Um, you know, I should say pike thrive in cold water, whereas muskies do not thrive. Like pike love, you know, your back bays, your, you know, all, all fish love warm water in the spring, but um, you know, middle of summer, a lot of your pike are generally a little bit deeper and, and prefer that little bit cooler water temp, whereas the muskies are opposite. They'd much rather be shallow and they prefer like, you know, the high sixties to mid seventies is the the water temperature that muskies really thrive in. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot, a lot of sense. And like, I know you can't really do much about that bycatch idea, right? I guess the only way would be if like the COs or whatever conservation officers found someone tip up fishing with big baits in a lake that has no pike, like that would be kind of obvious if there was muskie there and no pike. But I mean, yeah. lots of that stuff's hard to prove, right? Like I know, I guess I shouldn't say no. I'm still waiting for someone to message me and tell me this isn't true, but I'm pretty sure in Saskatchewan, you can't specifically target sturgeon, but also mm-hmm. when you're fishing a river that has walleye suckers, pike, whatever in it, and you throw out a pickerel rig, you could be going for anything, right? So, like a hundred pound braid, I'd, I'd, I'd question. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like when people are pike fishing, you know, like we have issues with it too around here. Like guides will go out before musky season, and they'll be, you know, quote unquote, pike fishing. Pike fishing. Or if they do catch a little pike, they throw it in the live well. So when the warden comes up, and it's like, okay, buddy, nobody's catching pike here on a figure eight. So I don't know what you know. The warden saw you from across the bay. You're doing figure eight every yeah. single cast. So you're you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, well, that's... I was a warden. I would. Freaking, there's so many people that do it. it it's really sad, honestly. Um, but figure eights will... do work on northern pike, though. Whatever, maybe for your dumb pike up in the middle. Our 50-inch pike around here just love the figure eights. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, actually. Really? I don't know. This isn't confirmed. No, that's not confirmed. No. Like, I think I've caught, like, two pike in a figure eight in my life. Like, they, they hate the boat. Like, they spook every time. I swear to God. Yeah. That's the goal for this open water season. Catch a 40-plus-inch pike on a figure eight. On camera okay, for for Doug, and this is not okay. Let's let's specify a figure eight. A figure eight is not an L turn. A figure eight <laughs> is when you make a turn and you are coming back towards the boat with your lure. Yes. Yeah. No, I would love to see it. Like they don't get me wrong, they bite it out of nowhere, like right at your feet all the time, right before you're about to like start your L turn and make your L turn. Caught a ton of them there, but like actually, like you see the pike coming in, it's chasing your lure, and you like do a figure eight and it eats it. Maybe like once. Probably because I pulled my bait out of the water because I don't want to fuck with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they scratch no, my they, bait. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally does depend on, on where you are, obviously. Like, I know yeah. up up in the territories, like, our boat would drift over Pike and they didn't care lots of the yeah. time, right? But, um, I mean, as far as the – yeah, you're right. It doesn't – as soon as you would go into that figure eight, I think they tend to kind of bugger off. But then there's lots of times they're – your hook will just be sitting off the side of the boat dangling in the water and the pike will come up and eat it. Like I had that happen a couple of times while clients were eating their sandwiches or whatever. And we're just sitting in a bay and the waves are rocking the boat back and forth. And that hook's just kind of going up and down a little bit, boom, hammered right beside the boat. But that's obviously not a figure eight either. So a little different there when you actually get that, that tip going and in, in the back and forth. Sounds like some great fishing. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like catching. I think, I think we, yeah, it's re- Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Logan. I was going to say, it's great fishing. It's really fun on hooking 75, 24-inch pike. Yeah, you got to have hands of steel, man. 
hands. Oh, I, yeah, like you got to grab those yeah. things with confidence. <laughs> that's the that's the thing. Like I went the first week and like my real job for people that don't know. I'm I'm in accounting. I I do accounting. I have office hands, right? I don't have these <laughs> these tough hands. And that that first week, like, because anyone knows, and you get unfortunately if a tooth happens or if you get gill raked or whatever, and obviously you don't want that to happen. But those cuts are just like trying to move your knuckles and everything like that. And uh, my guy Fishy B, one of the other guides there, his I took a picture of his knuckles after I think it was this like halfway through the second week, and it was just like just all swollen, all cut up. Every knuckle is just cut up. And I was just like, yeah, no, that's, I, I started, I started changing, especially the big ones. Um, they just, they would be so calm. And as soon as you go to grab them, it's thrashing around at you trying to get you with the snaggle tooth or whatever. <laughs> and the little guys, I mean, we're lucky up there. Um, Northwest territories is barbless. And, um, shake I think off. we, ch- what was that? Kind of just shake them off. Yeah, I can try and shake them off. It's always the like the big ones seem to always take it in the side of the mouth, in the corner of the mouth, whereas the little ones just inhale it for some reason. Um, so I was pretty lucky. I was able to convince lots of my clients to switch. Like most of them are just running a swim bait, right? Which is the with just the jig head, so um, or the swim bait head. So I only had one hook to worry about. They could get the land the fish easy, and I just had to pop that out when when guys started using spoons. Um, yeah. it was like, I'm not interested in this. Well, I'll let you do it for a bit. And then I'm going to be like, Hey, maybe we should switch it up. And, um, the number one is like a MEP spinner. That thing catches everything, but it also likes to kill so many things. So it's like, as soon as you see one of those, like, nope, not happening because yep. they just engulf that. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's, uh, the nice thing is the barbless, right? Like yeah. Zach took one on the side of the head and it's <laughs> oh, just yeah. a little bit of barb, a little bit of barb there. And so I had to deal with it a little, he said he could feel that. A little bit just wasn't pinched good enough but for the most part everything's barbless and that helps when you're unhooking that many fish in a day so or I'd from your a, own head oh man yeah. i'd put a grinder i'd keep a, a like a wire like a cordless grinder in my boat <laughs> down yeah, on just, bar. Yeah. yeah on my pike baits with trout baits i would just pinch them you know like real good yeah but like my pike baits i'd grind those things right off Oh yeah, no, exactly. And that's those trout, their mouths are so different than the pike mouths too. And some mm-hmm. of those guys are, some of them want to set the hook and try and rip the fish out of the water in 60 feet of water. Other guys don't want to set the hook at all. And so trying to get that, there's definitely a lot more trout would pop off with that, with that, uh, yeah. barbless hook. But I mean, it's better for the fish too, if, cause Absolutely. it's a catch and release fishery, right? So, um, I only wore a couple hooks off the chest. So I was happy not to take any in the face. So that was <laughs> that was a win for me every day I came back without that. So well, I'm sure I got one coming one of these years. I mean, I got one in my hand a few years ago that was a seven out. That was pretty bad. Uh, my wife oh, got yeah. a seven out in the finger this fall. That was fun. Um, yeah, I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, there, I that think. was a bad one. Yeah, I, there was no line trick on that one. I told, I knew we weren't going to do a line trick. I pulled, I had a razor blade in my boat and I tried to cut her open surgeon style and that wasn't. The blade wasn't quite sharp enough. Mm. I'm like, okay, we're making the freaking two-hour trip to Kenora. So we go to Kenora and sit in the waiting room forever. And then finally when we get in at like midnight, this lady's, this nurse is like, oh, yeah, hook in the hand, no problem. Let me go get the line kit. I'm like, lady, it's the wrong angle. This hook is freaking huge. The bar, like, the barb is massive. This isn't coming out of line. I've pulled a lot of hooks out of people, a lot of hooks out of myself. Like, this mm-hmm. this ain't happening. Like, you're not pulling this thing out with, with the line trick. She's like, oh, yeah, I just got to numb it up real good. Well, I watched her literally rip on it twice, and my freaking white, it didn't move. 
And wow. I was glad that Jess was all freaking numbed up in her finger. But yeah, then she was like, oh, I'm going to have to get the scalpel for this one. I'm like, Could, she just listen to me, lady. <laughs> yeah. yeah I've also already out. tried the scalpel. just need a sharper one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah right. You'd like it. Uh, you'd like it. There's a place uh, for anyone that's really, for anyone who's fished up north in Saskatchewan, you've probably gone through the range. Um back there at their, I don't know if it's their visitor center or whatever they got for their clinic. Um, basically there, I, from what I've heard from some buddies that have had to get hooks out, they basically got this wall cause yep. it's kind of the last, last major place that you go to before you either fly out or drive up North there. And so lots of people, whenever they're coming back with a hook in the hand, that's the first place you're getting it taken out. So they basically just got a, a big wall. collection of all the hooks that they've removed from people's hands and stuff. Wall of shame. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Basically, yeah. There's from one of my doctor clients. I should actually keep some of those in the boat. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice wouldn't be a terrible you idea. You probably got some. You probably got some long runs that would take quite a while to get back from, wouldn't it? For if someone yeah. were to get a hook in their hand. Yeah, like Green Bay's not bad, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Lake of the Woods would be a bad deal. We were luckily only like ten minutes from the landing on the one on Lake of the Woods. She was just sharpening a hook as we we're mm-hmm. going across the lake. She was sharpening a hook and freaking slid right up in there. That's like, how sharp those are. It's crazy. That's, not, yeah, that's what I learned. Enough. So we take a file to him to make him sharper. But yeah, yeah. Right, right in there. And it wasn't even for her, it was for a friend of ours. She was sharpening a hook for her. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Bad deal. It happened so quick. Yeah. But I guess jumping into uh, a little bit of the YouTube aspect, obviously, you know, we mentioned it earlier. And in our last interview, you know, you got the guiding business, but you also got a YouTube channel that's super, you know, informational. Uh, tons of great videos there around uh, Lake of the Woods and in the Midwest, lots of walleye, muskie, and lake trout. So obviously like during uh, the winter season, like you mentioned, like you're up in Canada. So a lot of like your recent videos are lake trout videos. But one thing that I wanted to bring up is, you know, you got this YouTube membership thing going on. I don't see a whole lot of other um, fishing YouTubers specifically uh, offering that to subscribers or people. Um, I guess kind of, do you want to dive into exactly what that is? And I don't even know how much is it like 10 bucks a month or something? Yeah, I think it's 11 Canadian. It's, it's seven ninety nine us, but basically what it is, um, it's a paid subscription for yeah. basically my, my musky content. Um, okay. and it basically what it, what came to it was, I mean, if, I don't know if you guys have temper or you know, played with YouTube at all, but YouTube is a super saturated market now. Um, I've been in the game for seven years, but it's always been primarily musky stuff and the musky market, musky world is super, super small. Um, so I kind of had, I think got my channel to kind of its limits as far as how big it could get being primarily musky channel. Cause that's what I live and die to fish for. Right. Yeah. Um, I do do some, like I said, lake trout and walleye and smallmouth stuff, but like 90% of the content on my channel is musky stuff. Um, and I kind of just reached to, I'm like at 20,000 subscribers now and, it just it, it you're not going to get any bigger than that in musky fishing. Um, there's just not enough people, right? Like it's not like walleye fishing where you have you know two hundred thousand people that are walleye anglers or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even the lake trout stuff that I do, like overall, there's not a lot of like lake trout fishermen. I would say I make more lake trout videos than any other species besides muskies. Um, yeah. But you know, there's like again a very small market. There's not a lot of people that fish for them, and when I do it, it's just it's just strictly ice fishing because it's when I have the time to in the winter. Um, but basically, the membership just came about because I was putting so much time and energy into making all these videos and creating all the content. I just wasn't getting the the money back out of it that over the time that I was putting in, it was crazy. I ran the numbers 
Um, and out of the seven years I've been doing YouTube, I, I had done like 160 some musky videos and you average out like the amount of time it takes to edit them and, and everything else. And like all the money I'd made off of YouTube and it came to like, I was working for like $7 and 40 some cents an hour kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it helped like YouTube was huge for me. It helped my business grow a ton when I first started guiding. Um, and it was a great leverage in some scenarios for certain sponsors. And you know, it was a, you know, part of your resume, right? Like, you know, yep. Facebook channel, Instagram page, um, and then YouTube channel, right? Like all your social media platforms. And that was good for me as well. But now like my business is so full as far as my guiding business. Um, I didn't really know where to go with my YouTube channel because I could go and guide for a lot more money per hour than what I can get, you know, working off of YouTube. So I decided to change the the page for musky content and go to a paid subscription you know, kind of deal just so that I could still do something with all the people that I had brought there yep. um, and the age I'd worked on for seven years. Um, but I just needed, you know, a little bit of return, a little bit more return out of it than what I was getting. So the, it's, it's a paid subscription. Like I said, I want to keep it under a hundred dollars a year. So it's seven ninety nine a month. It's like 96 American a year. Um, but it's super in-depth informational. We have fishing videos. Um, but I'd say about half of our videos are tackle stuff small adjustments okay. with different hooks or like different rigging of certain lures to get a higher hooking percentage or to get them perf- to perform in a different way. Um, and then there's stuff on electronics stuff. There's one thing we've been doing a lot lately is like showing a, a video where we are fishing and catching fish. And then I've got a whiteboard that I'll you know, mark up or kind of draw out the situation, the, you know, the structure where the wind's coming from, if there's any current and really just dive more in depth to, what's going on to help other people understand and learn because the, the thing about muskies is they're so hard to catch and the learning curve on them is is so big because you have so few interactions um and you can do so much studying and homework i think at home um to help yourself be more successful when you do have the chance to get on the water and this is more of just a informational class for those people um and also there's a lot of people that want to hire me as a guide but i just i can't take them i'm, I'm full and my, my business is full to maximum capacity Yep. So it's a way for me to offer information that a lot of people otherwise would just get if they were in the boat with me to other people that maybe just can't afford to hire me for a full day or maybe they live you know, three, four states over, um, you know, and maybe they will come and fish with me someday. But I can still help them, you know, in their own journey of fishing in their local areas because the muskies, like, it's different in every single lake. They all act differently. Um, but they're all still the same species. They still like the same lures. They still go through the same patterns. Um, and it's just, it's way more fun for me to teach people how to catch fish versus just having them watch me catch fish. Yeah. No, providing value continuously, right? Just making sure that every, every time somebody interacts with a piece of content of yours, that they're getting value out of it. And that just creates a a lasting relationship that you know will eventually bring them and book a guide trip with you, right? And like I said, and even for me, like it's not even about maybe so them even booking, just a comment them saying like, "Hey man, this you know this video was super helpful. I caught yeah. my biggest fish of the year, like one of the coolest fish of the year." You know, you want, you know any of that stuff? Just any kind of positive feedback for people um, to you know help them in their own sense. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the interesting thing that you said too, about kind of realizing that as far as informational musky content, you felt that you kind of capped out there, right? As far as subscriber count and kind of, I think lots of people would find that no matter 
what it is. If it is whatever you're doing, if it is informational content, it seems to have a cap, and that's when you start to see the catching musky on xxx all in yeah, caps, yeah. right? Like it's kind of like it's that it's that clickbait into weird things, right? But you're not out there throwing God knows what, throwing the yeah. biggest Rapala that you can put on your wall, cool. right? I'm right. Not- <laughs> yeah right like it, yeah like you, you can do all those challenge videos and stuff like that to try and reach a different you know crowd or different base of people but at the end of the day i could care less about that i want to go out and try and yeah. catch the biggest fish that swims um and that might take you know a lifetime to do you know so i don't want to mess around and and take any days off necessarily from you know targeting the biggest fish that swims i would say in that lake is worth what i yeah. target um well i'm not so much worried about the biggest fish in the world. Um, I've been lucky enough to catch a lot of really big muskies. Um, I just, I love doing it in new places. I love exploring. Um, I love fishing in Canada. It's by far my favorite place in the world to fish. Ontario is just amazing. Um, and there's just a bucket list of lakes that I want to get to that, you know, I just, I can't wait to get there. But that's what mm-hmm. drives me now. Oh, man, it's yeah. just the, the adventure factor. I don't know how many hours, I spent like seven hours on Google Earth yesterday. And just was consumed between Google Earth and Navionics going back and forth and marking up a map that on a lake that I may never get to in my life. But if I ever have the chance, like, I'm ready to go. Are you willing to share that lake? No. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing that's pretty sweet. Like, I think that's going to roll into our next uh, next topic here. But, I mean, that's the thing that's pretty sweet about being in those more populated areas. Um I mean, I don't like being around a bunch of people, but the nice thing is it provides demand, right? So as far as a business or even just having, like you're talking about going on Navionics and being able to look up lots of these maps, mm-hmm. we don't have that a lot around here. Um, I think they're supposed to be coming out with sus- some Saskatchewan stuff um, in the future for some of those different mapping companies, but we don't have a lot of that stuff. So to be able to go and do that, like I know there's one website that is kind of close uh, for, I don't even know how they do it, but it's some it's actually some like sailing website but it seems to have depth maps and stuff around here but we don't have that a lot so to be able to go and actually mark out areas and stuff like that that you want to fish quite a, quite a ways in advance like you're doing there like you said you might never get there that's kind of nice to have that right yeah absolutely um and i mean if 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 there's other like a lot of these places like the one i was looking at yesterday in particular um there's a 10 foot contour line so like it gives you somewhat of an idea um, there's also lakes that there's a lake that I'm going to this next year that there's no map of it. It's like you like mm-hmm. what you guys are saying like there's just you can see the shoreline and where there the islands are like there's no depth to it at all. Um, and I'm super excited to go fish that one. But Google Earth is is by far my best friend just so you can get somewhat of an idea of what you're getting into. Um, yeah. Looking at that stuff, seeing if there's any kind of you know transitions from rock to sand or like high you know if you can tell if there's any high bank walls or looking at seeing if there's any current or like funnel areas or pinch points like you can do so much um of your homework ahead of time in fishing that you know and google earth is by far my best friend when it, when it comes to that and i just take navionics to uh, even that lake like I, I zoom in on navionics on my phone and i mark out all the spots and put waypoints on all of them but only reason like there's no map of it on navionics but navionics when you open up the app will show you your gps location you, know, mm-hmm. so you can see exactly where you are in reference to those other spots yeah yeah that's the that's the huge thing even i know referring back to up north with being on our phones um if you had the map like had google maps loaded or whatever on your phone 
and then you went out for the day. Well, you don't you don't have Wi-Fi at the dock, let alone <laughs> any service anywhere out there, right? You're in the middle of nowhere, but it still knows where you are. So yeah. you can you can mark places, mark bays, stuff like that, and you have no service at all. But it, the phone still knows where you are on the lake. Um, obviously, we all got electronics and stuff. You're not going to get lost out there, but um, it is nice. You can zoom in on places, and and like you said, you can look for those transitions, those pinch points, and stuff like that. And um, that's I guess that's a good tip to kind of lead into our next point of we kind of with us being an ice fishing. Um, and like you said, probably your, your second most content other than muskie would be Lakers. Um, kind of curious how you would dissect a lake, approach a lake that you've never fished before. And I guess one, if you have maps or two, if you don't have maps. Sure. Um, so I guess the way I would go about it, I guess one, if you do have a map, um, even if you do have a map, there's a lot of lakes up here in Northwestern, so like they have a chip for them, um, mm-hmm. but very few of them are very accurate. So the one thing that I utilize every single day that I'm fishing up here, and even back home in Green Bay, like in the States where they have things mapped out really well, is Auto Chart Live um, on the Hummingbird units. And you can, you can make your own map of the lake itself. Um, I always have that thing running. It's, it's $99. I've been running it for six years, and the card is still not full. They say the card will last you a lifetime, but... I don't know. I didn't really believe it when they told me that, but I still run the thing um, whenever I'm on the water, and it's always refreshing and updating, um, and I haven't filled that thing up yet. And that's such a cool tool because then what I do with that is I'll run it in my graph all year, regardless if I'm on Green Bay or Lake of the Woods or Eagle or wherever, and then Pipestone, um, come ice fishing season, I'll just pull that chip out of my Solix unit, and then I'll put it into my Helix unit for my ice fishing, and then go to my GPS, and the whole entire map is right there. And then your mm-hmm. GPS is obviously internal, so I can go to that exact point or that inside turn or that deep hole and be yeah. spot on the spot and have that map. So that that's a technology that I use a ton um, is the Auto Chart Live. But if you don't have that, to use your advantage, uh, like I said, Google Earth is, is by far my best friend. Um, but trying to find lake trout spots in, in particular um, – Lakers in the winter is when I do the majority of my lake trout fish, but lake trout in the winter um, are kind of tough because they can be anywhere in the water column, right? They can be in 200 feet of water or they can be in three feet of water. Um, with the cold water in, in the winter, they can go wherever they want. But generally, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but there seems like the guys that further go west, they maybe get a little bit deeper. Um, but I love like 40 to 50 feet is kind of my, my jam, my zone, as far as depth. Um, and if I can find that depth adjacent to you know deeper water i'm I'm always loving that um if you can look on google earth and see kind of those really high bluff face walls those really um, steep breaks if you know get close to that stuff you're probably going to have a lot of your deeper water in those areas at least in the shield areas of lakes that we have you can see that i think it gets flatter the further you go west out towards you guys um so it might be a little bit harder to find your deeper holes um but even if you can go somewhat off of watercolor from your google imaging um or any of that stuff to try and figure out where like those really steep break lines are are what i like a lot Um, points if you can you know get a point that really sticks out into a main basin um, some kind of structure for those fish to roam on um, and even there's always the term of like pushing bait up against a wall or into a the side of a wall um that is, I would say, important to a point, but I think your your really active fish in the winter, your really active lake trout, generally are traveling on some sort of structure. 
Um, you know, your, your active lake are generally suspended. I guess I should start with that. A lot of the times when I'm fishing in 40 or 50 feet of water, I'm only jigging about 20 feet down, about halfway down in the column. Um, those fish, it's incredible how well they can see because now with this, you know, live imaging and forward-facing sonar, you can see how far they come away from, and those fish can see your bait at least from 30 feet away, um, at yeah. least in the, some of the lakes that I fish over here. Um, and it's crazy, you know, you're 20 feet down, there's a foot and a half of snow on the ice, there's a foot, of, a foot and a half of ice on top of it, and those fish can still see. Um, and it's just a tube or a glide bait, right, like no rattles or something super loud and noxious. Um, those fish can still know that, that that bait's there, and like watching them fly over and engage, it's just crazy. But um, I think the more active fish generally, that and the active ones being the suspended ones, like to you know be around some kind of structure, um, looking for that bait that's a little bit higher in the water column. Um, I do think it helps them to see a little bit. The higher up they are, obviously you get more light the closer you are to the surface. They can see bait and chase yeah. bait better that way. I think if they're more negative and neutral. Those are your fish that are laying on the bottom of their resting. They're not looking to feed. Um, so any of that structure stuff, I think I'd, I'd much rather fish a point than just go fish a deep 60 or 80 foot hole out in the middle of the lake. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that's something like you mentioned earlier too, about with, with the temperatures changing this year, um, where you were fishing too, like the talking about how the wind can really affect things. Um, I've definitely, I always kind of knew that was like, everyone says, oh, wind, like kind of fish the windblown points or whatever, fish the windblown shelves and stuff like that. And I was uh, exploring a new lake trout lake the last two years up in northern Saskatchewan. And we basically there was, I had found this wall that the wind had been pushing on for two days and it was basically a 60 foot straight drop. And I went over there with my, with the side imaging and my 2D and it was crazy that the amount of bait that was actually pushed up against there. And I know that's something that, uh, is, it's obviously more, it's an open water thing. Right. But, um, I think that's, you can't go wrong with that and, and fishing that structure. I know like you go to Clearwater, Manitoba here, it's lots of just fishing out in the middle of nowhere and you're fishing, fishing a deeper hole or, or stuff like that. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah. But I mean, and then you get to the opposite side of things. I think you might find this interesting. Lac Lamarck, it's deepest point is like, not deepest point the deepest depth that they found around there is about 70 feet like there's oh. it's yeah and they've got that big of of lakers in it so um they kind of also that was one of the first things zach told us on here and when i got up there he said springtime is pretty difficult for lakers and it would go into the winter as well because they can be anywhere in the water column right there uh w- with the temperatures so yeah i thought you'd find that interesting with the with the lac Lamar only being that deep uh, I couldn't believe it. Most other places I'm fishing lake trout, you at least see a hundred and some feet, but yeah, there it's only, only 70 something. And I know we haven't, uh, we haven't got to do it as much. I know you mentioned how it gets flatter as you come this way. Um, like we have to, from where me and Brandon are in, in Mushan, Regina, we got to drive about six hours to start to get into the shield again. So, um, actually our closest lake trout fishing by drive time is Fort Peck. Uh, if we wanted to no go, way. Yeah. yeah to go down there so um that's the pretty well the closest um there is like Clearwater and manitoba and stuff like that and some other places around there but yeah we still got to go quite a ways for lakers so it's kind of kind of interesting to get like you're you're right on the lake all winter basically right where you can target lake trout yeah um like now i bought a well, we bought a house i'm about the lake that i really like to fish is about an hour drive um okay let's just load up a truck and the sled in the morning reasonable 
rip over. Yeah, you can do it, right? You can do a day trip. Um, but like now I've, I've got a place on Lake of the Woods here. I still haven't fished in Whitefish Bay. Uh, I've never fished for Lake Trout Lake of the Woods, and I still still haven't. I'd like to. Um, like mm-hmm. I haven't had the time lately. Yeah, it's 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 interesting how like and even the lake trout just act differently um, in different parts of the country. It seems like, and I don't, I'm, I'm bad. I, I make a lot of you. I shouldn't say a lot. I make YouTube videos, but I don't. I'm really bad at watching other people's YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Um, but like some of the people that I've watched um, in like Manitoba and then that stuff, it seems like those fish out there stick a lot closer to bottom. They're a lot more lethargic and it takes like more coaxing versus yeah. the fish out here. Like it's a straight, as soon as you mark that fish, you're reeling at a pretty yeah. good rate. And it, it's such a chase up and down, back and forth. And like, I just, I love that about the lake trout over here. Um, like I think you guys get way bigger fish than we do here. Um, or I should say those guys, like the further you go west, the, the lakers definitely seem to get bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I'll take a 10 pounder that chases me 40 feet vertically in like four seconds and eats my jig and wrap over, you know, a 20 pounder that eats my dead bait on the bottom Yeah, or a 30 pounder. So it, it's just, well, it's that, interesting. It seems like that way they're just not nearly as aggressive. Yeah. Well, that's what you kind of said in one of your recent Instagram posts, right? Is what was that one chasing you up? I think that Laker well, that you're the holding part, the faster you reel, the harder they hit. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, yeah, it's like so, we, we get that too with a little bit of ice fishing that I, I've done for them. We, we get the chase as well, but you are right. It's lots of um, laying those big baits on the bottom and stuff like that, right? Like laying a Cisco on the bottom. And um, obviously, it's, it does seem like the smaller ones are more what's really chasing. Right. Um, cool. Like I know some of the big ones we caught in the summer, just more down here and on the territories. Um, it is you eventually will kind of get them to start following you. But yeah, they're usually coming in along bottom for the most part. And then it is a lot, it's a lot slower of, it's not just ripping away as fast as you can. Cause when you do that, they kind of seem to just peel off and don't seem, seem as interested. But yeah, those, those mid, like those teens, those like 10 to, to mid teens, they just seem to charge after that. And like you said, once those hit, it's almost like what you see with lots of those ocean fishing videos. It's like, as soon yeah. as they hit, it's just crazy. Yep. Yep. Love it. I was just going to say, so like, yeah, when you were explaining, when Logan asked you about how you you know, tackle a new lake, um, you know, the word, you know, live imaging was thrown around. Um, obviously everybody for the most part tuning in, uh, all of our regular listeners and, you know, avid anglers and stuff know what live imaging is. And, uh, but you've been, you've been fortunate enough to use the hummingbird mega live now for a couple years, year and a half, two two years. years. Um, pros and cons. Do you have, do you have a breakdown for us? Uh, I mean, I don't think there's any cons to it. Um, it. You can learn so much from it. It was really cool to watch. It was really cool to watch, like when I lake trout fish with it. Um, yeah. I generally put a dead bait, say twenty-five or thirty feet away, um, and I'll put it suspended in the column, normally about twenty-five feet down. Okay. Um, and generally, it's out deeper than where I am. I'm a little bit, you know, I might be in forty-five feet of water. My dead bait might be in fifty feet of water. Um, but I generally have the dead bait a little bit lower than where I'm fishing, maybe five feet lower in the water column. I'm at like 20 feet down, the bait's at like 25. Um, but it was really cool just to watch how the lake trout would interact with the dead bait. I want to know like how they hit those things with the dead bait. Like do they, especially like the ones in the bottom, like you, you understand they're going to go up to it and pick it up off the bottom and swim away, but like a suspended one, like as hard as these fish come in on the graph, like, or did they, I wanted to know, are these fish coming in the dead bait and just absolutely smoking it? 
or are they coming in, you know, just kind of cruising, just grabbing on their way by? Or like, what are they doing? And it is insane how they just sit and stare at your freaking Cisco for like minutes on end. <laughs> and they just like, they're just sitting there looking at it like, I don't know, that thing looks pretty, that might have been dead for a while. Why is it just holding <laughs> out, sitting here, right? Like, they just inspect it. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but then also it was really cool to, and it did a really good job of just keeping fish, I would say, in the area. Like, I caught so many more fish when I had a dead bait out, but I wasn't catching them on the dead bait. I think last one we caught like two lake trout on a dead bait. Um, but what it would do is like, I'd have a fish come in, I say on my jigging wrap and just chase the bait up this, that, and the other, but just whatever, for whatever reason, like they just wouldn't commit, go up and down, back and forth. And as soon as the fish would like, you know, be uninterested in me or kind of tell me to screw off, they would coast back to the Cisco and stare at it like almost every time. Right. And then they just go stare at the Cisco for like 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden that, like their brain would like reset or clear and yeah. all of a sudden they'd see what you're going to wrap again. Like, Oh my God, I got to go eat that thing. And then come flying over. And, like you watch this all happen. Cause I can see my Cisco on the graph, right? Yeah. I put it right in the edge of my screen. So I'm covering as much water as I possibly can in an ice fishing scenario. Um, but then it was just like keeping fish in the area and like their brain would reset. They'd see my jigging wrap. They'd come flying back over and it could be the same fish that just denied me two minutes earlier yeah. and then come up and crush the thing. And I'd catch yeah. them on, on a jigging wrap. But like the Cisco just kept fish in the area. And there's other times where like the fish would, you know, come in, look at the, or like see the Cisco first. They'd come in, look at the Cisco and like, oh shit, look at that thing. And then come flying over to me on the jig stick and then you, know, you get to play the game. So that was really cool to see. So I don't, there's no disadvantage to it. Um, it's expensive. I'd say that's a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, for sure. Um, but Not you the most mobile. From it. You can learn a lot from it as long as it doesn't, I don't know. Like there's a, there's a story for another day, but it, it's, it's negatively impacting some fisheries um, and some species, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, giving anglers, I think an unfair advantage um, where they're actually doing harm to specific bodies of water. Um, because of it, um, some people are really, really good with this stuff now, and they can tell the difference between an eight-pound bass and a ten-pound bass, or you know, a fourteen-inch crappie and a sixteen-inch crappie. Like technology is just that good, and it's kind of scary, um, you know, where people are that are specifically targeting certain fish or certain size fish aren't even casting at maybe a six-pound bass in you know down south, right? They're mm-hmm. not even casting at a six-pounder because all they want to do is catch ten-pounders. Like that's kind of sad. If you think yeah. about it, like you're just like, I don't, I don't want anything to do. I'm not wasting my time on that six pounder. I want to go catch a 10 pounder. Like that's kind of sad. Um, and then also another, another side, another side of it too. Like there's some people that are using it to target fish that are a lot deeper um, than, you know, anglers have ever really targeted fish before and fish that don't have swim bladders um, yeah. on Lake Lake Trail. Um, You know, a lot of those people are pulling those fish up from really deep depths and then, you know, doing harm to them and hurting them. Um, possibly killing them, right? There's a lot more. I see more dead fish, um, I think, than ever. And I think some of it has to do with people targeting muskies is kind of where this is headed, but more muskies um, in deep mm-hmm. water, and it's it's really hurting them because it's not that big of a deal if you look at the grand, like people that I get, like I'll get arguments with people about this stuff, but they're like, oh, like whatever, forward facing isn't hurting any fisheries and this is coming from a wall, guy. Like, sure, if you're on a, if you're on a say let's say a ten thousand acre lake and you know there's a hundred people out there with forward facing sonar and those guys are all really good with it, you're not going to see them dent the walleye population, right? Because there's a lot of walleyes. Probably let's say there's just a really good population of walleyes in this lake. 
you're not going to see a dent in the walleye population from 100 people or even say, let's say 50 people in that lake. But now if you look at a population of muskies are a much you know, larger predator, there's not nearly as many of them in each specific body of water, and you put 50 people out there that are really good with forward-facing sonar and are now targeting these fish in specific areas, like you're going to see you know, an effect of that a lot faster. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't want to say like you, for my, like I used it this last year on my boat and I'll honestly say I'm, I'm going into this year without it being rigged on my new boat. Um, it, I don't, I don't, it, it doesn't fit my style of fishing that I personally like to do. Um, and I might be missing out on opportunities. I know I'm missing out on opportunities because of it, but that's like, I'm okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. because it's not the way that I like to fish. It's not the style I like to fish. It didn't, I felt like I was wasting more time focusing on my screen than focusing on what else was going around yeah. me. Um, so it was it was tough. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my two cents on it. I love it for ice fishing. Absolutely love it. It's super fun. It makes it a lot more enjoyable um, because in ice fishing, you're, you're, so, you're, in, you're stuck, right? You're fishing a 10-inch hole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas in a boat, you can move and you've got all the opportunities. Um, but in ice fishing, I, I absolutely love it. It's so fun. So, so yeah, I think I think you're exactly right with the time and a place, right? Yeah. As far as what you're going to use it for, because I mean, you could solely fish walleye with just live imaging, but then you're probably never really going to be lindy rigging again or bottom bouncing or trolling cranks, right? You're just going to be pulling up, tossing a jigging wrapper, a jig to a fish. Like you're, it's going to totally limit the kind of fishing you're doing, right? And obviously, you could be using it while you're doing those other methods, but that's kind of what it comes down to is a lot of that stuff and. I think that's where it comes for, for tournaments and stuff too. Like you've seen videos on YouTube, of course, where it's guys going fishing tournaments and it's the same thing. They're not casting to, to fish unless they know it's, it's one of those, say like a 10 pounder or whatever, stuff like that. Right. So, um, I, th- I think that is the, the interesting part of it. Um, I've, and it's how you're going to use it, right? Like I've been using our, our Garmin a little bit and it's been crazy to see how the fish react. Like you talk about and being able to learn from that and use that it's more that's what i've kind of been using it more as is to to learn how a fish reacts to lots of stuff like obviously i can look around and and see stuff but the coolest thing is seeing how fish react and that kind of helps me and how i'm going to react when i see a fish coming in right but um i think i think where it could be pretty damaging is we talked with with jamie bruce about um smallie ice fishing smallies a little bit right and you could easily locate those with live imaging and stuff. And I know it's something that basically he talked about. It's there's kind of controversy with fish ice fishing for those too. Right. And, um, or finding those suspended crappies and stuff like that. And I think it's more in the panfish area where it could really hurt things. Cause lots of guys that are going out pan fishing, they're going and the limits on pan fish are crazy. And when you can stay on top of a school like that, um, I mean, that could, could eventually do some damage, but then on the opposite end too, you're talking about with, with the muskies, like I would be interesting to know, the equivalent of removing one muskie from a population, what the equivalent is to, to walleye, like as far as the dent in the population that it does, right? Like, like one muskie dying from barrel trauma. What does that equal? Like, is that 50 walleye dying from barrel trauma? Is it a hundred walleye? Like that would be, would be interesting to know. And I guess that's where it's, you can't really, I don't know if you can really regulate it, but I think that's just where educating other anglers and stuff comes in. Right. Yeah, and it, you just like you said, you have to um, you know decide how you're going to use it for yourself. And pers- personally, for me, it's like where do I personally draw the line? Um, and for me, like I draw the line at I'm not gonna I'm not gonna 
you know, quit actively fishing to drive around and look for fish because there are people that now are just driving around with their outboard or their kicker motor at a high rate of speed with, you know, four, three, four or five transducers um, mm-hmm. and not making a single cast until they mark that fish. Yeah. Um, so for me, like I'm, that's kind of where I've drawn the line is I, I totally am cool if people want to use it to you know, observe fish behavior um, but if you're using it, I think in a way to harm fish that are deeper than I would say, like even with muskies, I would draw like 25 feet. It's kind of the edge more so even 20, like 25 in, in the fall. <coughs> um, but it's a certain depth is where you have to draw the line for barrel trauma. Yeah. And yeah. muskies are this big, nasty predator, right? But also like they're the softest fish in the game. Like they are so fragile. Um, <laughs> handling with them, you have to just be perfect. Like they're just pansies. It's, it's sad. Um, they're awesome fish and super smart, really hard to catch. But at the end of the day, they're really, really soft and fragile. Yeah, that's the that's the interesting part too. And yeah, that's kind of <laughs> like you said, the twenty-five feet for the muskie. I know lots of people's benchmark is thirty feet for any of those fish that that don't have the swim bladder to deal with it. And I mean, I was I was talking to a guy at one of the hockey games I was at a, about a month ago, and he starts talking about yeah, at Stephen Baker, yeah, we found walleye in fifty-five feet, and I'm like. Sweet. As soon as I see thirty, I just I just go <laughs> back off where it's going to be shallower. Like I'm like I'm not I'm not wanting to go look any deeper. I'm like what? Why are we even looking in fifty five feet? I didn't entertain. It's a mindset. Just like though, oh right? yeah, it is. Well, it is. It, and people here's don't know. The scary but. thing. So like I totally like, and I I, I shouldn't. Re- I'm not going to take back my comment. But like adding to my comment, I would say is like I think there's a lot to be said. Like there's a certain bite and musky fishing that we call like the open water bite. And basically, it's these fish that are rolling around over the basins. Like, you can catch, like, there's times, like, I'll do it. I'll, my boat will be in 100 feet of water, right? And I'm casting for muskies out in the middle of the freaking lake. And there's muskies that are using the higher, the top end of the water column, generally the top mm-hmm. end of the water column. Um, there are times where they are lower, um, but you're targeting those fish that are out high suspended in the water column. And there's something to be said, and I do, like, I know I have caught fish that have came up from very, very deep, maybe 25, 30, 35 feet, to come up and eat a lure that's only 5 to 10 feet down. Um, I don't know where they're coming from because I'm not using the forward-facing sonar and watching the fish come up and eat, but then, you know, your, your people that use a lot of your forward-facing sonar will make the argument, well, I, I know exactly where all these fish are. Like, what's more damaging, me cast, like, knowing that I can't cast at this fish or you just aimlessly casting and catching, you know, yeah. targeting all these fish? And it's like, okay, I, I totally understand your argument. But how many people are, especially in musky fishing, are going to say, okay, like, I'm going to invest, you know, let's, let's even just say one unit, one transducer, call it five grand. I'm going to invest $5,000 into this piece of technology. Yeah. Now, you you work your tail off all week at work. Last weekend you had your kid's birthday party or something else. You haven't been fishing in two weeks. You go out, fishing's tough. You're not seeing a whole lot of fish when you're driving around. And all of a sudden you mark one, but it's it's 25 feet down. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, or you've been, you've been fishing for four hours. you got one hour left. You haven't caught, you haven't seen anything. You haven't caught anything. And you mark a fish, but it's 25 feet down. Now you have to police yourself to not <laughs> yeah. cast that fish. Right? Yeah. How many people are willing to not do that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's a public resource, right? So like you can catch that fish and feel good about yourself and say, Oh, I worked my ass off for all, you know, to make the investment to buy all this equipment and I'm going to use it. Sure. You can use it, but also you're, you're damaging, you know, that fish is potentially going to die or has a good chance of dying. And now you're going to hurt a public resource for someone else. 
Yeah. Like people, people never police themselves. Like look at history. We've done a terrible job of policing ourselves. The general public overall, I'm not saying there's plenty of people that yeah. are awesome and follow the rules, but how many people, you know, it, and it's thankfully in our generation doing a lot better job of catch and release and, you know, taking specific numbers of fish and not always needing to fill our limit. Right. Or if you didn't catch your limit or keep your limit, you can have a successful day on the water. Like you mm-hmm. can keep, half the amount of your legal limit and still have a meal for your family. Like, I'm not against people eating fish or any of that stuff, but um, you know, just being respectful of the resource because now we have the technology that can do so much damage. Yeah. And I think that's like when you're talking about also explaining your statement a bit more too, I think that's the same as when you're walleye fishing, you're, you're fishing a break line for a reason, right? Um, that's, that's where the fish are lots of the time and stuff. So, I mean, I can say, yeah, I don't go over 30 feet, but also just as you said, that fish could have came up from 45 feet and be working that break and working its way up and came and ate my bait. I don't know that. Right. So yeah. then if then someone be like, well, then you shouldn't go over 15. Well, it's the same thing, right? You can't help that stuff as much. And when you are fishing the, the suspended stuff, like you don't, you don't have as much control over that, but at least you're not specifically going into those deeper spots because then it's even different if you're specifically going to go fish walleye in 45 well maybe they came up from 60 who knows right like it's there's only so much you can do it's the same eventually this conversation if you want to keep it going down the line it comes to if you get the only place it stops is well we shouldn't fish because a hook in the mouth could hurt the fish and then you (laughs) right that's that's the that's the end of the line for this conversation because you could argue back and forth right about about what it does and then I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of where you want to, where you want to stop that. So it's, it's one that I'm sure if there's some beers flowing and there's some group of eight guys in a shop somewhere, I'm sure that conversation could go on all night. Right. Oh but, yeah. You, yeah. You throw a pan fisherman in with a fly guy and a bass guy and a musky guy and a walleye guy and let them have at it. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that one. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's funny. Like you talk about that and how lucky we are up North. Like it's you, you talk about, Oh, I'm only going to cast at this 10 pound bass that if I see it on the, on the live imaging when up at Lac Lamart, the water's so clear. It's right. There was one, one set of, of fly fishermen, really, really good guys or whatever, but I'm not casting out a pike unless it, I know it's over 40 inches was what they did for their whole six days. So they would catch a lot of big fish, but it was, Oh, that one's maybe 38. No, not casting at it and stuff like that so it's 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 kind of funny how when you get that big fish mentality how it's that's all you want to do right is is that you don't want to worry about about anything else yeah my wife always she always says this she's like i don't care how many muskies i've caught i'm gonna figure the shit out of a 38 inch if it comes in yeah <laughs> i love that and i'm the same way like absolutely yeah and I, I think that's where just the enjoyment of fishing is right like i don't i'm never gonna say no to a fish but like we were ice fishing this weekend and we were going for perch, but I won't say no to a pike or a walleye or a sucker or whatever. I don't care. The, the fight of a sucker is better than most of the perch I'm catching. I'm not going to be upset about that. Right. So it's, yeah. it's I've seen it's you release that, that sucker on the weekend too. Yeah. I, I put up a story. It's <laughs> I've come across quite a few suckers just left on the ice. Um, oh. and it's like, it, like the great lake trout bait if you're going to keep a sucker keep it for lake trout bait don't just leave it on the ice but i just kind of put up contrary to popular belief this is how you actually release a sucker you don't leave it on the ice or whatever but <laughs> yeah no it's that's just back to the old mentality right like we used to have a ton of burbot and buffalo pound and dad says he remembers when he was younger and you go out there and there'd be burbot all over the ice and there was apparently a 
a, a guy that had a Chinese restaurant and he'd he'd come and pick up lots of the burbot because people just leave them on the ice to die because they thought they were just dogfish, whatever, not yeah. good fish, right? So it's like you said though, and the positive thing is times are changing. I know lots of people around our age, you see it online a lot, which is good. Um, like nothing wrong with keeping fish, but people are really mindful of the size they're keeping and limiting your catch instead of catching your limit lots of the time too. Um, that That's a big thing, right? And it's nice to see those changes happening. And I know I, I've got an older guy that I fish and hunt with and be like, oh, he tells me he's out fishing on the weekend. Oh, how'd you go? Or how'd it go? Oh, I didn't get my limit. Is what he always yeah. likes to say. He's like, oh, there's some fish, but I only got half my limit or something like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And that's just how things were back then, right? But it's good to right. good to see it's changing. And it needs to because as good of anglers as all of us are now and, like, it, with all the advancements in technology and all the information that's out there, like, everybody is on such an even playing field um, more so than ever before. And it's only going to get more and more even with, you know, technology getting better and better. Um, yeah. Honestly, the sad thing is, like, the only thing that saves it is is the cost of, of the equipment. Um, that's the only thing that's, like, saving some of it or leaving some kind of, you know, edge, I mean, maybe to some specific anglers. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, you look at the hunting industry and, like, those people, like, people that own private land to do their whitetail hunting in the States is just disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like, what people pay for, like, there was, I saw something, and I'm not, I used to hunt a ton, but I don't really have time anymore, but there was just a mule deer tag that was sold for some unit in the States for like $680,000 for a tag. It's just crazy how many people are getting pushed out of the sport just due to the fact that so much more land is becoming private. Um, The cost of, you know, owning hunting property is through the roof. It's just, it's really sad. And I'm I'm really grateful that fishing and water is public and anyone can do it. Yeah. Um, But definitely like, you know, equipment and the sport in itself is, is getting more and more expensive. But I've always said that like, the beauty of fishing is there's no such thing as tagging out and water's public, right? Yeah. If anyone wants to come fish Lake of the Woods, you're like, oh, that guy only catches all those muskies or all those big fish on Green Bay because he's, he's fishing Lake of the Woods or he's fishing Green Bay. Well, come on over. Nothing's stopping you. You can fish right yeah. next to me if you want. Like, if you think you're better than me or if you think this is easy, come on over, right? Like, there's no, yeah. oh, that guy's got a thousand acres of private hunting land and all these giant deer and that, you know, that deer's you know, nothing. A 10 pointer there is only like a shooting a six pointer on my place or, you know, whatever, you know, I'll yeah. Whatever. <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Well, that's the, I've, I've heard comparison is the, the thief of happiness, right? You compare yourself to, to so many other people as far as hunting or whatever. Like I'm sure lots of people down in some of those States that, uh, like a two by two whitetails is a really good deer there. And then they look at Saskatchewan deer and they're like, Oh, right like it's they look at brutus yeah they look at brutus and it's like well if you can constantly compare yourself it's the same with with fishing for muskie or i know a big one is fly fishing right and um some rivers or some river slash streams maybe a uh eight inch brookie is big out of that out of that stream but then you go to another one and 12 is more the standard right it's all about about where you are and you just got to know to to appreciate that i think is the is the biggest thing no, it's all relative to where you're fishing. I, I don't want to take anything. I, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to say that. I, I totally respect. Um, you, know, you say that eight inch brook trout out of that specific river might be a big one or a really respectable yeah. fish, and that's awesome. Good for you. Like, hats off. Um, but yeah, it, it, just the way things get skewed and people talk and <laughs> yeah. social media. And, 
Yeah, I was going to ask you going back, circling back to that lake trout, talk about the live imaging and live imaging in the lake trout. Um, do you guys chum there much? Or are you allowed to chum? Uh, I don't know if we can. Um, I don't. I guess I, I was going to say so that must mean you don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, like I'll, I've ran a Cisco before. Um, like I said, just on a, either on the on the bottom or you know suspended with my second line. But um, even that, like I think I only ran a Cisco once this year. Me and my wife took out our nephew and. He caught two on the on the dead stick, um, but I've just been doing so well on jigging wraps and tubes and right. that uh, shadow wrap this year that I you know, just haven't had any desire to. But it, it, I'm sure it works. I, mean, I don't know if you legally can or not. I don't. You can't supposedly use live bait on naked woods, is what I heard. Oh, um, it's not allowed. Like used to live to use live bait at all or dead bait. Right. Or whatever. So it sounds like Saskatchewan. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. We just have worms and leeches. And frozen minnows. You can't use live minnows. No, no. Are they so? Are they worried about them getting like, whatever, populating a lake or that stuff? I guess. I I would think so. I don't know if we've ever been allowed to. Like it's. I know they used to be able to use frogs. Uh, you can't do that anymore. Crayfish, I think, has been a big one. Lots of places you can't use them anymore, just because that. Like I know Lake the Woods has that rusty crayfish. I think yeah. Yeah. issue. So. Does. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if we ever used to be able to, but for as long as I've been alive, it's frozen minnows, uh, leeches, and and worms, and that's I guess like just a couple of years ago is when they outlawed the crayfish. But there's not like there was bait shops selling live crayfish, so yeah. um, <laughs> that wasn't really a thing. But I was as far as that Cisco and the chumming. I was just asking because I I wonder if like obviously the chumming is to to draw in the fish and stuff, but I wonder if that Cisco being suspended there is kind of creating more of a dispersal of that scent and, sure. and whatnot when it's up when it's up higher kind of in the middle, right, rather than having to go down to the bottom and have that scent work its way there. Um, I just kind of maybe that's what – I thought maybe that's what kind of keeps them hanging around because you said they're not biting it a ton, but they are checking it out, and especially to stop and stare at it. Like the way trout move, especially Lakers, like they're like going around and dodging always things. Moving. and yeah. Right, yeah, always moving, but just to stay there and look at – a bait like that that's not moving um is, is quite quite different for how they normally act yeah i mean they're like like nose on like you cannot see the separation like they're not two feet away from it like their nose is touching it. you cannot see the separation between the two marks um like they are right up in its face it is so yeah. interesting bumping well, it yeah like I, I so and i even played with that too because like they were sitting there like oh i'm just gonna run over there quick right and just like lift the line up a foot or something and see if that would do anything and it, it never made them strike or anything like that it, yeah there's times, like, there's times they'll just stare at it for two minutes and all of a sudden just whoop, your flag will go up and it'll just slowly swim away with your cisco it's like but why did you just bite it right away yeah what changed over this last couple of minutes like yeah, i know like, i don't know if you have the issue of well it's not really an issue it's kind of fun but like lots of lake trout fishing here it's you'll go up and down with a lake trout for about five or six minutes before it decides to bite and it's like what changed it's been the same thing for five or six minutes and now you decide to take it yeah now you gotta go eat two more ciscos to get all the calories back you just burn yeah this is my bait up and down yeah exactly we actually had i had that with a a burbot we were fishing i think it was like 60 feet of water and i was suspended about 15 feet off bottom mark comes up off bottom and chases me up to about 10 feet below the ice and it was a burbot and i was like i have never seen that before i wasn't even hooked up to it and it followed me all the way up there so 
if it had barrow it was its own fault not mine because it uh it bit that that high but i think uh i don't know we covered pretty pretty good amount of topics there where it looks like yep. like an hour and 15 in here do we uh do we want to go to the rapid fire brandon yeah i just got some i just got a quick ra- quick rapid fire um not even some are relevant some aren't so um okay i'll just fire them off uh one favorite ice fishing lure for walleye Favorite ice fishing lure for walleyes? Yep. Yeah. Oh, easy. Um, half ounce, or not, geez, not a half ounce, Christ. eighth ounce VMC Flash Champ Silver and Sarchers. Boom. Wow. That's different than what I thought it was going to be. Either that, that, or I guess number two is a number five jigging wrap. That's yeah. what I thought it was going to yeah, be. What, <laughs> uh, favorite, <laughs> fast food, favorite fast food restaurant in Canada? In Canada? Yep. Yeah. Um, hmm. Is, is there any fast food in Canada besides Tim's? Like I don't, I don't. When I think of fast food in, Tim, in Canada, it's just Tim's. Like, it's just it, Timmy's. It's Timmy's, I guess. What's your favorite yeah, fast food I, restaurant in the states then? Arby's. Oh my god, oh. they have the meats, eh? They got the meats, brother. The chicken. <laughs> let me tell you. Let, let me tell you right here. The number five. It's a chicken, chicken bacon Swiss, cheddar instead of Swiss. Uh, give you a large Dr Pepper with that. Large curly fry and a eight piece jalapeno popper with ranch. Done. This is That's what feels you through the summer. <laughs> oh yeah, that like I, I without me, I don't think the Arby's and Sturgeon Bay would would be in business. I was just gonna <laughs> say this is such a controversial topic because my wife won't even touch Arby's. She's never had it before, but just the look of it, she doesn't like. And I don't really know anybody else that goes around to Arby's, but the one here in Regina just got renovated in the East End. So I'm like, they must be doing well because they're putting money into the place. But I know I nobody that goes to Arby's. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what about you guys. But like their chicken is like so good. Like it is good chicken. It's like there's grain in the meat. Like it's not just your processed freaking chicken patty. Your junior chicken from McDonald's. Like it's good chicken. You. You want to know a crazy place? Muskies and Arby's. Arby's passionate. Muskies yeah. and Arby's. When, yeah. Uh, when you're talking about fast food mm-hmm. places, I just got back from a week-long trip to Hawaii, and the only Chick-fil-A on the island, yep. uh, in, right by Waikiki there, is in this mall. And you want to talk about an operation. They got, like, you know, most places you go up to the till, you place your order, they take your money, whatever, and then you, you your food shows up. This place, they have a separate desk or till area just for taking your order then you go and get in three different lines and then they walk out the food to you and it's like there's got to be a hundred people waiting at a time and i'd never had chick-fil-a before i didn't it was it was good but i was like i didn't think it was anything crazy but it's the only one on the island so it's just stupid it's basic white girl (laughs) don't get me wrong it's good but it's not like it's it doesn't blow anyone else out of the water it is good i like i like chick-fil-a uh, question number four: Favorite movie of all time? God, I, I see. Like, this is the problem. I've seen like four movies in my life. I'm I'm generally staring at Navionics. Um, man, I'm gonna go with Shooter. Mark Wahlberg. Love that guy. Good guy. Great guy. guy. Old sniper movie. I shouldn't say old. It's probably like ten years old. But I just yeah, I love action movies. Perfect. Uh. Okay, next one. Uh, what's your setup if you're going for walleye in the fall? Rod, reel, bait. 
How about a walleye pounder fishing for muskies? Um, <laughs> man, I don't. Okay, I got it. Um, rod, rod, reel, bait. Yep, and line. Okay, okay. Uh, so rod is going to be a seven foot nine medium extra fast Thorn Brothers Predator. Uh, reel is going to be a four thousand Daiwa Kage MQ. Line ten pound suffix one thirty one G core braid. 12-pound Seaguar Invis-X fluorocarbon leader with a Smithwick Perfect 10 on the end. Cast and there stick is slow at night. Love it. They throttle it. Not bad. That night bite is fun. That Seaguar, uh, that it's expensive as can be around us here. And I was in this little hole-in-the-wall tackle shop in Hawaii, and that stuff was dirt cheap. And I was like... I need to message all my buddies that <laughs> that I know use this. Just be like, how much do you want? Because <laughs> well, it was there's they make like the. I mean, I have no affiliation with Seaguar by any means. Um, like it's not me pumping anybody. It's like they just make I think the best fluorocarbon. But um, the the blue like they have blue label leader material that they sell like twenty five yards of crack and it's just like insanely expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I've bought it. I've used it, but like I honestly like the suffix in Vizex, you can get like a 150 yard spool and it's like the same price as their spool leader material and i can't tell a difference like i just buy a, a bulk spool every year a 12 pound it's 150 yards and like i generally go through a good amount of that in a year but way better as far as expense wise yeah those once as soon as you get as soon as they know it's specifically for leader material and they yeah. package it as so, it's oh, like three yeah. X the price. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, and and a, and like a ten percent of the amount of line on the spool. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's crazy. Marketing. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly what it is. And last one here. What's your biggest goal for twenty twenty three? Get the vision board out here. Let's I mean, I've got fishing goals, I've got business goals. Ugh. Uh I'm gonna say there's a there's a new lake that I'm going to this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, for two different, I think a, a four day trip and a five day trip. Um, and I'd love to crack a 50 inch out of that. I've never been there before. I've been doing a ton of research on it. Um, I'm going in October and it, I'm really, really excited for the, for that trip. And I'd, I'd love to crack a 50 inch out of that place. Super cool. That's a good goal. Fantastic. That's all we got. That's it. That's all. That was just fun. Good chat. Yeah, it's it's not it's not the two hours from a year ago, but hey, not bad, hey. <laughs> well, last year I had to give you a tour of my basement. That's like forty five minutes just there. That's yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Would but... you how, I, as far as that? Would you say that you have more tackle in there than some tackle shops around you have? I have more tackle in there than most tackle shops have. <laughs> okay. Like, you guys, you guys just saw the musky side of things. Like the amount of walleye tackle I have. Oh my god! And smallmouth tackle. Like, I don't even fish for smallmouth that much. You know? I, yeah. I, I have, I don't know how many thousands of dollars in Mega Bastard baits. It's just uh, yeah. fun to collect stuff, honestly. Some of them are so nice. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I have such, I, I'm really bad. Like, I, yeah. I I just, in the back of my mind now, like, being a fishing guide, it's so much worse now. It's like, yeah. oh, this is right off. This is right off. I, I need this for work. <laughs> this is true. for my job. This, I have job. This is for my it's a job. Right off. The right off. Who pays for it? Right off, people. I don't know. The right off, people. Right yeah. off people, exactly. You know the line. Oh, yeah. Shit's yeah. Creek? Yes, sir. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie. I just know the line. I... It's actually a TV show. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. 
<laughs> he really hasn't seen the movie because it's not a thing. They don't even have TV. <laughs> they don't. It's not necessary. Yeah, it's really not. It's a waste of time. But uh, regardless, thank you so much, Doug, for taking the time to sit down with us again. We appreciate sitting down with you every time. Uh, second time was good. Third time might be the charm, though. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. No, that was fun, boys. Thanks for having me, and I uh, hope you guys get out and do some fishing. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be in touch. I'll see you on the socials. What a great interview with Doug. Always is. Yeah, that that was fun. I mean, uh, like you said in the intro, there, you know, it's been a year uh, since we sat down with him initially. Got to know him over the you know over the year. We stayed in touch over social media, chatted a little bit. He uh, reached out to us. He wanted to come back on. And, uh, yeah, he's got some pretty cool stuff going on there, you know, guiding down in the States and then guiding a little bit, um, you know, more towards Canada. And now he's in Canada for the winter and, you know, bought a house on, uh, in Ontario there. So that's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, great guy catches huge fish. So definitely go check him out if you haven't already on Instagram and YouTube specifically, I guess, um, is where he puts, puts a lot of content. So he, it's you know, if you're into lake trout, ice fishing, um, or walleye and musky, yeah, musky, that's your guy right there. Go, uh, go check him out. And, um, yeah, lots to learn. Always lots to learn. Yeah, for sure. It's always fun sitting down with them and it's always, it's always, it feels like almost like, uh, like just a couple of boys sitting there that have known each other for a while. It's fun with, uh, some of the stories that get going back and forth and whatnot, but, uh, definitely won't especially be the last the, time he's on. Especially the ones that are off air yeah exactly yeah <laughs> lots of good fishing stories and stuff but uh want to give a quick shout out to 13 fishing our presenting sponsors once again uh, and there was strike master as well uh, i know i've been really enjoying the strike master suit now for the last i guess this will be the second season with it so basically season yeah. and a half really been enjoying that the augers ripping um so no complaints there would definitely recommend it to anyone that's looking for an auger and in fact they do recommend it to anyone not just because they're a sponsor because it's a, a great product i think we it's kind of funny you go fishing with usually the same group of guys lots of the time and it's like all of us have an auger and they're all strike masters and it's like we probably don't all need augers but um it's kind of funny when we have four different strike masters show up we've got a couple of the the 40 volts and a couple of the 24 volts rolling out there and have little competitions and stuff but that's getting off off on a, on a tangent there definitely sh- be sure to check them out head over to rapala.ca check out all the brands use code weekend warriors and, and save yourself 15 percent. yeah that that 15 is huge you know if especially if you're buying an auger or buying a bunch of baits or a few rods like it adds up really quick so um yeah with that being said thank you guys so much for tuning in um this is year three we can't believe it it's been it's been a blast and yeah we're hoping that this March Madness fishing tournament comes together nicely yep. and uh, we don't run into any snags, pun intended. And uh, yeah, <laughs> just we just check we out the socials we, for that, right? Yeah, we hope we can host a, a really good, fun event that uh, all of you guys are going to be able to enjoy. And, uh, you know, some people are going to take some money home. So uh, thank you again for tuning in. Definitely go check us out on social media, YouTube, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah. Tell your family, tell your friends. If they don't know about the podcast, tell them to tune in. We'd greatly appreciate it. And same for the term as well, if that thing gets off the, or gets rolling. So uh, yeah, without further ado, thanks for listening to this episode and stay tuned for the next one. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review on your favorite listening platform so we can reach more anglers just like you. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for media updates and behind-the-scenes content.